Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. <coughs> Excuse me. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and give himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning. What do you guys know about superheroes? They're cool. Yeah, like we are, right? <laughs> what else do you know? They wear capes. They should not wear capes. Why not? Oh, they get caught in things. That's true. Well, not all of them wear capes. Some do and some don't. Um, so I brought a few of Ben's with me today. It's probably a good thing he's not here or he'd be not too happy with me. Um, but I have Superman. I have Batman. I have Green Lantern. And I have uh, Spider-Man, sort of. Um, Spider-Man doesn't wear a cape. And Green Lantern doesn't have a cape. So that's good, right? All right, so what do we know about superheroes? They use their skills. Okay. Hmm? They pretend they're not real. I don't know. Bruce Wayne, they're real people, right? Aren't they? They, they, they were originally real people before they became superheroes, right? Like Spider-Man was a real guy until he got bitten by the spider, right? No? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> ah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of them have secret identities. That's that's an important part of it. Um, like Superman is really Clark Kent, right? Yeah, and Batman's really Bruce Wayne. Yeah. So do they have? They all have uh, super somethings, right? Either superpowers or super tools or something. Like Batman, does he have superpowers? No, but he has that really cool utility belt, right? He has a bunch of money. But he's also pretty smart, I think. So he has a power in his, in his intelligence. Hmm? 
Yeah, he has a partner. That, well, a lot of, yeah, he has a sidekick, Robin, right? Um, Superman, what does he do? He's, he's got um, x-ray vision, right? He's an alien. <laughs> That's right. He came down from a... See, I don't know too much about my superheroes because they, they, my brothers were more into them than I am. But anyway, um, superheroes, they have lots of uh, powers. I was given this as a gift. It says, I'm a teacher. What's your superpower? So what is your superpower? Come on, you all have superpowers. So <laughs> well, that can be a superpower. Believe me, it's very hard, especially for kids today, to be silent. They, they don't know what that word means. It, to them, it's a very uncomfortable thing. Well, I think that the clue is in our scripture today. I think there are two superpowers that we have that Paul talks about. Um, he, he was writing to the people in Ephesus who weren't really getting along too well. And my husband reminded me that sometimes the superheroes don't get along too well either. They kind of fight with each other and get angry with each other. And Paul was talking about anger a lot today in our scripture. And he reminds us that we have two superpowers. Anybody know what they are? Say it again. Forgiveness. Bingo. The other one is love. So we're, we're told that if we love like Jesus, that's a superpower. Because some people are really hard to love. But we're called to love them anyway, which helps prevent the anger stuff and the issues that happen. If we're loving everybody, then that's a big step. That's a big superpower. But forgiveness is probably even a bigger superpower than love, because when we forgive, not only do we feel better, but the person we forgive feels better too. So Paul has told, reminded us here that love and forgiveness are really the superpowers of a Christian. We're called to use them to solve the problems that happen in our society, in our world. Just like superheroes come to save the day, <laughs> We're not necessarily going to save the day for the whole thing, but we have our, our superpowers of love and forgiveness. We can start on a small basis. Love that person that is really hard to love and forgive that person who's really made us feel yucky. But we can forgive them, and it'll make us feel better, and it'll make them feel better. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for this chance to learn some more from your word, from the book of Ephesians, from your apostle Paul. We pray that you will help me to speak clearly and help us to understand 
And take this not only into our minds, but into our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about maturing in Christ, and if you were not here, you missed the bobblehead Jesus story. Um, we were talking, the Apostle Paul used a couple of baby analogies, and one of them was that we have to grow into our head, who is Jesus Christ. We are the church, we're the body of Christ, and Jesus, you know that babies have to grow into their heads. Babies' heads are disproportionate to their bodies. Um, but Jesus is fully mature. He is an adult. And so we were kind of imagining this bizarre situation where there's an adult head with a baby body. And so we need to, we need to grow up. Um, Jesus humbles himself to the maturity level that we are at. And... So this should be motivation to grow up. So in this next section of the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians that the Apostle Paul wrote, um, we're looking at some specific, you could call them rules, I guess. Um, they're kind of like, who, who here experienced this as a kid? When I was a kid, um, you know, you don't know how to do things when you're a kid, right? You, you have to learn everything. And so... Um, my parents made this chart with things like brush your teeth, wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, um, little basic things like that, and there were little boxes next to them, and if I successfully did those things that day, I could get a little star sticker. Um, I don't know if any of you had any kind of learning like that or have taught kids or grandkids um, that way, but for some people, that's really helpful. Uh, there's also things like when you're a little older and you have actual chores that you can do, sometimes maybe your parent would make you a lift, list of chores, and so you could put a sticker if you did the chore. Or um, a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic hit, we did a whole sermon series on a rule of life, and we talked about it as a trellis. It's kind of this framework, and you kind of figure out what your commitments are that you want to be really focused on before God in life. Um, not just commitments to God, but those are obviously part of it, but also to our families and to our work and those things. And so it can be helpful to have some ground rules. None of these things are really about morality. They're just about providing yourself or your children or people some structure to build a good life on. Um, we're not trying, when we give our kids little chore checklists, we're not trying to uh, develop people who have to live by checklists their entire lives, although some of us, that really is helpful for. Um, <laughs> but... The, the idea is not to have somebody that is just completely chained to a list of rules. The idea is to have a common baseline of things that we agree are good human or, or, or community um, standards to live by. So, and as children, we do not mature without guidance. It's impossible. No matter what, your, what you understand about child development or how you raise your kids or what 
uh, structure you decide to use, human beings don't mature without guidance. We don't know how. Um, the, last week, I was talking to, or two weeks ago, I was talking to Maddie, and she was telling me how she had to teach a friend of hers who was going to meet his girlfriend's dad or something how to shake hands. This kid had never learned how to shake hands. This seems kind of basic for many of us, but you don't come out of the womb knowing how to shake hands. So I guess if nobody teaches you, you don't know how to shake hands. Does this kid not knowing how to shake hands make him a bad kid? No. Does it even mean that he was badly brought up? Not necessarily. Shaking hands is kind of a cultural thing. Um, does Maddie's helping him learn how to shake hands help him act more appropriately in more social contexts? Yes. Right. So, I think it's good to have that kind of idea in mind as we look at the next rules in Ephesians. These rules mostly are not so much about morality. They're more about, for example, like brushing your teeth is not about good morality. It's about good hygiene. These are sort of like that. These rules that are coming are more in this theme of being part of God's family. What are some good standards by which to live as part of God's family? We're not just any family. We're not just, we're not even today talking about brushing teeth, really. We're not just any family. We are a family of a very different kind of people. We talked about how um, Paul was saying the the Jews were the chosen people of God, and the Gentiles are being grafted in with the idea of creating one whole new people that is united in Jesus Christ, powered by the Holy Spirit and deeply loved by God. And so the challenge for us as we look over the next chapters, the challenge for me, but, but for all of us really as we think about this, is to balance taking these rules literally. They're more than suggestions but also balance that with understanding that they are written by a specific person to a specific group of people at a specific period of time in a specific part of the world and within a specific context. So they're written by this Jewish guy, Christian guy, to some Gentile Christian people in the Roman Empire, and they had certain cultural understandings that we don't have, and we have some that they don't have, and so we need to take everything that we read here seriously and also keep it before the Spirit of God so that we can find that balance between literal and contextual. Here's a nice word for you. Um, so that we can avoid legalism. We don't have to be chained to the list of rules. We don't have to live by stickers. Um, we want to look for what is the underlying godliness or Jesusness in each situation we encounter so that we can know how to live these things out in our own culture and in our own church context. And this is highlighted in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Apostle Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
we are part of God's family now, so what does it look like to follow the example of God himself? This is basically, this is the standard. We're trying to take after our Father. And so what does it look like to follow God's example, the God whose example we're trying to follow dearly loves us. This is the baseline. It's love. How do we walk in the way of love like Jesus, which is self-sacrificially for each other and to God? Our lives are sacrifices to God for each other, and this is kind of the thing that we need to use as our lens when we're trying to discern how to apply these things in our daily lives. In this section that we're looking at today, um, the Apostle Paul kind of addresses three different categories. He mixes them all up. And the three categories are, are speech, anger, and generosity. And so we're going to look at them in terms of the category and not in the order of the verses. They do all kind of interact with each other, but we'll, we'll do what we can here. Um, so the, the verses specifically about speech here are verses 25, chapter 4, verses 25, 29, and 30-ish. Um, we're going to talk more about speech in either next week or the week after, but because the speech of a Christian is really important, and we'll talk about that a little more too. But starting off here, Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In the previous passage, we saw that Paul said, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into him who is the head. So there's something about the way we talk, which is directly related to our maturing into the head, Jesus Christ. What do you think putting falsehood off rules out? So we talked last week about the slave clothing, taking off the, slave, the clothing of slaves and putting on the clothing of free people. We're all free in Jesus Christ. And so if you're putting, if part of the slave clothing is falsehood and you're taking that off, what is, what are we taking off? What are some things? Lies. More specifically? <laughs> Instagram, okay. <laughs> you want to explain a little, Kathleen? That's your whole life? Right. Our lives are not our highlight reels. That is true. Pretentiousness. That's a good one. And related. Hypocrisy. There's a couple different ways we can lie, right? I mean, we can lie against someone. We can slander them. Um, we can lie to save face, to save our own face, to make ourselves look better. We can lie to save people's feelings. Um, we need to be careful about that one because we also, there's so much about loving each other and kindness, and we want to be sure that we're people of kindness and love. Um, but there are sometimes when we lie to save someone's feelings when that is actually not in their best interest. And it's not just, and I'm not just talking about like appearance or that kind of thing. Um, sometimes that, so that's tricky. We, we don't have time to unpack all of these things, but these are some different things. Here's something else. 
gossip. Gossip is huge. By the way, the Bible speaks against gossip a whole lot more than it speaks against many other sins, and churches are some of the worst places that gossip happens. And sometimes that is because it comes from a genuine, we really genuinely care about each other, and we really do believe in praying for each other, but sometimes we share stuff as a prayer request that is really more about gossip than prayer. Um, so this is something that we need to watch. That could, we could have a whole sermon about that, but that is a thing that is really easy to fall into because it very often looks like something else. And sometimes you could be telling the truth, but gossip is always damaging. Um, we can also, if we're putting off falsehood, we can also put off intentionally deceptive teaching. I do my best with prayer to present here the truth as, I, as God allows me to understand it um, and express it. Sometimes I feel like the understanding and the expression don't quite match, but whatever. Um, but we need to, like, this is another good reason to read your Bibles, to make sure I'm saying true things, um, or to understand how what I'm saying is a true thing. Uh, this putting off falsehood does not rule out confidentiality, and it does not rule out silence, like Tim mentioned. Um, silence sometimes is the best thing. Sometimes just not talking is a good way to put off falsehood. Sometimes things are said to you confidentially, and you should not say those things. Be, putting off falsehood does not mean saying the truth all the time in all circumstances. We can learn how to be appropriate in what we share, when we share it, um, but we want to be sure that what we're saying is authentic and true to the uh, amount that we can express it. Truthful speech is apparently really important to God for his family. Why do you think truthful speech matters so much to God? God is truthful. We might say God is truth. Um, any other reasons? Okay, lies break relationship, and we see that all the way back in Genesis 3. That is pretty much the basis of all of our human problems um, is the snake twisted the truth and humans believed it and we continue to do so. But I think there's another thing. Words are really important to God. God created the world by speaking it into existence and in the New Testament Jesus is described as the word of God and we understand even through books like Ephesians that when it says all things were created by him, by Jesus, and for Jesus, Jesus himself is the word of God through whom all creation was spoken into being. Jesus is the perfect expression of God the Father. So Jesus the word, there is no disconnect between who Jesus is and who God is, and Jesus is what God speaks essentially, embodied. And words, therefore, because words are important to God, our words, we're created in the image of God, we have the gift of language, and so our words are powerful. 
because words are powerful. Words can heal and words can divide. The first temptation, as we said, came about by a twisting of words. And so in this little piece of his letter, Paul is saying, remember the family you're a part of. In this family, when we speak, we speak truth. In love, like he said a couple of verses ago, but we speak the truth. And then he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I want to hear what you think this means. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, not to gossip. That, this verse really goes to that directly. Anything else? Yeah, that's true. It's important what you put into your mind. Okay, that's good. So you're, you're kind of talking about stewarding words. And you're right, we had a sermon months ago about the shrewd steward, and it's a weird parable. But, <laughs> um, but I think there are some things in that parable that apply to this. We have, words are a resource that we have from God, and we should steward them well. Don't waste our words. Make sure that we're intentional about what we say so that we are building others up. And I think it's really interesting the way that he puts it here. What is helpful for building others up according to their needs, which means that we have to know each other, that it may benefit those who listen. So if you picture yourself downstairs during fellowship time and you're having a conversation with somebody and you are building them up, but there are other people around you, they might overhear what you're saying. And if you're being caring and intentional and stewarding your words well to the person that you're talking to, others who overhear you will benefit. God's people are intentional in what they say. We think before speaking. Now let's talk about anger. <laughs> Yay. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. First of all, is there a connection between speech and anger? <laughs> There's a fiber optic connection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's the connection? What's the obvious here? That's a superhero, right? Captain Obvious? <laughs> Okay, one of the first things we do when we're angry is lash out verbally. And sometimes it, it's, it, can be, it can come either way. Someone can say something and then we get angry, or, someone, or we get angry and then we say something. Usually both of those things are involved. What does it mean to not let the sun go down while you are still angry? 
work it out. Yes. So, <laughs> well, okay, that's, that's interesting. Okay, so Lorna says, work it out before you die, because nobody works it out before you literally go to sleep. Um, I want to say, I know there's at least one other person here who would take this extremely literally and say, yeah, you work this out before you go to sleep. I would say yes to both. Um, I think we, ultimately, yes, we do want to work this out before we die, but guess what? We don't know when we're going to die. We also don't know when we're going to go to sleep, and if we're angry, we're probably not going to go to sleep very quickly. <laughs> well, right. I am not going to repeat all that because I don't think I'll be able to. <laughs> um, but I was about to get to the, in your anger, do not sin. Because I think this is important. We, many, many, many of us have grown up in homes or um, in churches or other contexts where anger itself is wrong and is considered a sin. And this is important because Paul is saying, in your anger, do not sin. So assuming there are going to be times when we get angry. Jesus got angry. We're going to get angry. But there is a way to be angry without sinning. And yes, not letting the sun go down while you're still angry um, is a part of that. It's essentially, I'm going to be angry. I am not going to use it to, I'm not going to al allow my anger to take over me. So I will still learn how to steward my words well, even if I'm angry. And my priority is to do what I can, with God's help, to resolve the situation. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul in this, in your anger, do not sin, is actually quoting a psalm. He's quoting the Greek version of the psalm. We actually read the psalm as our responsive reading. And in the version that we read, it says, tremble and do not sin. But in the Greek translation, the original Greek translation, which is called the Septuagint, it says, be angry and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. So in the psalm version, you might still be angry, but you are, you're going to bed and you are working on it. And it doesn't say, in your anger, go to bed and then think about all the things, all the reasons why you're angry and all the things that person did to you and how horrible they are and what you're going to do next and what cutting remark you should have said instead. No. Examine yourself while you're there until you can reconcile with the other person. Because you cannot control what the other person did, does, 
continues to do, how they respond to you. But you can examine yourself and how you're handling your anger and do everything in your power with, in cooperation with the power of the Holy Spirit to not hold on to your anger. You can have it and let it go because we are reconciliation people. The whole first section of this book is about how the good news is about reconciliation. And so in the psalm, it then says, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Telling the truth, relinquishing our anger, and we're about to see generosity and kindness all require us to trust in the Lord. All of those things, truth-telling, letting our anger go, and being generous and being kind, require trust. They are all risky. Did you ever think about that? All those things are risky. And so, ultimately, we know we can't fully trust another human because none of us are perfect yet. But we can trust in the Lord to see us through as we speak the truth, as we let go of our anger, as we are generous and kind to people, even if they aren't to us. All of those things, all of those acts of trust, are sacrifices. They're not taking an animal and killing it and burning it up like they did in the Old Testament. They're not sacrifices to save our souls. They are sacrifices of who we thought we were, what we thought we enjoyed being like maybe, what we thought we needed to hang on to, until we start more automatically thinking, acting, perceiving, and receiving each other like Jesus does. So then Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Real quick, what are some ways we can get rid of those things? Yeah, that's the first thing. Go to God and say, help me let it go. I think there are two things. One thing Kathleen kind of touched on earlier. Practice self-discipline on social media. Please, let's all of us do that. <laughs> um, that. Social media is such a place for anger to develop that maybe was never there before. Let's be self-disciplined there or submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit to discipline us there. That is a, one place where, I mean, I'm on social media a lot, because I have to be for, the two, for this job and for the pilgrimage, but I am learning more and more, partly the hard way, to be really quiet most of the time. Most of what I do is invite people to do pilgrimage things <laughs> or read my books. That's it. Um, another thing which is related to what you said about what you put in your mind Spend time with and learn from peaceful people. There are actually people out there who are at a certain level of spiritual maturity who are just most of the time actually peaceful, not stuffing their emotions, but genuinely peaceful people. Spend some time with them. It's actually kind of contagious. It's really a good idea. And the last thing here is generosity. 
Paul says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Note, sometimes those in need are people in the family. So in our community, we have a lot of needs, and sometimes the people that are in need are us. And sometimes some of us face a situation where, due to circumstances outside our control, we really cannot work a paying job for a while. And there are all kinds of reasons for this, and I am aware of some other churches who do not care well for their members that are in these situations and just instead use this verse to heap tons and tons of guilt on those people. And, we don't, and so we don't want to do that here. We do not want to be a place where there is guilt placed on people because they cannot, for whatever reason, work a steady job. But we also, we also need to keep in mind here that Paul is not writing in a society that economy works like ours. We tend to think there are two types of economy. There's capitalism and there's socialism, and there's no other type. And I can't unpack the type that was happening in the Roman Empire at Paul's time. It, it wasn't 100% different than ours, but it's not the same as ours. So he's not saying everybody needs to go out and get a job. What he is saying is do not steal by scamming the system, either your government system or the family of God. Don't take advantage of the government, even if they're corrupt, and don't take advantage especially of each other. Also, don't just sit around waiting for everybody to serve you. If you are in a situation where you cannot work a job for whatever reason right now, there's other things you can do. There, there's always, you don't even have to be able-bodied, there is always something you can do to work for your church family. Um, even if you're not earning, there's ways to be generous with yourself and to promote the well-being of your church family. Everybody has something that other people need that you can give to build them up. This is also a reminder for those of us who work a paying job or who have more, what we have and what we earn is not primarily for our own comfort when we are in the family of God. Everybody, no matter what our financial situation is, no matter what our material situation, should be thinking in terms of supporting each other. What can I do? How can I share? What can I share with those in need? Because the basis of this is the love of God, which is self-sacrificial. The real question is, how can we be generous in our souls? How can we be generous, whole person generous? And here's one way in verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Guess what? We're not all going to get this right away. We're not all going to get it before the sun goes down. <laughs> I'm not going to. You're not going to either. But this in itself 
is cause for compassion, not judgment. We can forgive each other when we get it wrong because God has forgiven us through our connection to Jesus Christ, who we are maturing to become more like. So in the family we're a part of, we speak the truth. We speak intentionally to build each other up. We speak with the Spirit's help, and with the Spirit's help, we manage our anger and we try to resolve it sooner rather than later. We let go of bitter grudges, violence, malicious intentions and actions. We work honestly and we earn honestly so we can be generous, kind, and compassionate. There's more list, you guys. All of chapter five is <laughs> a big list. It's hard, I'm actually afraid to preach chapter five. Just gonna say, we're gonna do it, but I'm afraid of it. So remember the Holy Spirit. I need to remember the Holy Spirit. We all need to remember the Holy Spirit. We can't do any of these things without the Holy Spirit, but if we are part of Christ's body, which is one body with one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, so we all have the Holy Spirit to help us. In verse 30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we're living for ourselves, if we're not allowing ourselves to be directed by God's Spirit, it makes the Holy Spirit sad. It is a grief to the Holy Spirit. It's not that God is angry at us because we're not doing those things, we're not depending on him. It's like if you're a parent and you have a kid and your kid makes a foolish or selfish decision and you know it's not going to work out for them, but it's their decision, you grieve, right? I think there's a lot of people in this room who know what that feels like. That is what the Holy Spirit does when we do not avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. It's an extra grief to the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is right here. And the Holy Spirit won't boss us around and won't take over our wills and won't force us to do something like an evil spirit would. The whole, but the Holy Spirit is right there to empower us to live like God's family. So again, verses, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Remember what these rules are for. They are to help us learn to take after our loving and self-sacrificial God. We are dearly loved. We're already dearly loved before we follow these rules before we start getting stickers on our little Ephesians chart. We are so dearly loved that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. We can sacrifice ourselves for each other, too. This is what this family does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for putting us in this family. People are hard. Um, but we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit freely, and we can trust in you to help us be truth-tellers, peacemakers, generous and kind. We do ask for your help with these things. In Jesus' name, amen.